Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. Hi. Hi, man. Today we're talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament and how God is completely not the same in both of those testaments. Is he not the same, though? He acts very different. We shall see. This is the side I'm going to take <laughs> for this episode. Go to Patreon, $5, uh, click all the buttons and all the notifications and the follows and the likes on the videos, just not the down thumb. First question, what about the Old Testament makes everyone think the God in the Old Testament is a huge asshole? Wow, okay, just go in there, okay. <laughs> and what specific things does he do that makes people think he's that way, specifically in the Old Testament? And why is he doing those things during this time period? And, you know, what's up? Okay. So, all right. Wow. All right. So, <laughs> what about the Old Testament makes everyone think that God is just a jerk? Yeah. Okay. And what's he doing to make people think that way? All right. Because common conception is he's very angry and strict mm -hmm. and murdery. <laughs> murdery. Okay. So... Yeah, I get what you're coming from. And, and actually what you're sharing is pretty common, right? I think most yeah. people have an idea that God was one way in the Old Testament, God was one way in the New Testament. I mean, there's a lot of Christians that even think that. Or I won't necessarily say a lot, but there are some that think that. In the Old Testament, what's happening that makes people think God is that way is, one, the flood is probably the first one. Right. Because God literally just wipes out everyone on the face of the earth outside of Noah and his family. Mm. So that's the flood is probably the first one. And then right or not right after that, but then after that would probably be Abraham being told by God to take his son Isaac up to a mountain and sacrifice him, kill him. Yeah, but he stops him right beforehand. He does stop him right beforehand, but people's issue is, but isn't God basically promoting some sense of child sacrifice? See how I spun the podcast? Yeah, now I am the bad guy. Yeah. How did this happen? <laughs> all right, so... <laughs> anyway, all right. And uh, so, yeah, so there's the whole idea of Abraham being told by God, go kill your son. Isn't that a little much? Um and then, of course, you know, I guess probably one of the biggest topics is the idea of when God is instructing the people of Israel to wipe out the Amalekites, and he's like, basically, kill them all. You know, men, women, children, kill them all. And then, you know, continuing on with the, the Amalekites, it's kind of the same vein with the Canaanites. Just wipe out the Canaanites because we need, we want to be on their land, is the idea, right? We're... We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna de, um, defeat you in battle so we can take your land. So God's a colonizer, right? Okay, that's the way that the idea is. And then, of course, I think the story of Job bothers a lot of people that God just allows Satan to take everything from Job, his kids, his health, everything. Um, but that story is fake. Yeah, right. Like I, so I would, I would say it's not a uh, historically factual story that's in the wisdom literature section for a reason. But there's a lot of people that don't read it that way or don't know that, and so they think it's just part of the continuing story of God allowing these kind of things to happen, and not just allowing them, but seemingly directing these things to happen because. Mm. Um, you know, it is kind of weird in the Bible because it's just like all this stuff is happening and then we go over here with this one guy who's having a bad day and then we get back to the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, you're right. It's kind of a strange like because you really you go through all of the historical, mm -hmm. you know, so you go through all of the historical part of, of the Old Testament and then you go through all of it. And then right at the end of it, it's like, oh, there's Job. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and apparently we don't have no idea of actually when the time frame that Job is supposed to be written in either. So he could be in the future. 
think most people understand him to be in the past. Okay. And they'd probably set a, set him in sometime in the period uh, before Abraham. Um, and so somewhere in that, you know, Genesis, you know, like 5 to 11 section. But anyway, so I think those are the, all of the things that make people think that God is a certain way in the Old Testament. Okay, so in the New Testament, everyone thinks he's free love and and on something and a hippie. So why does he seem that way in the New Testament? <laughs> and I think, again, this is the way people are reading it or they've heard parts. I think a large, a lot of this in relation to the Old Testament and in relation to the New Testament is the fact that there's a lot of misunderstanding of just actually what is in the Bible. Okay. In other words, I'm not denying these things are in the Bible, like the Old Testament things I mentioned, but that's not all of the Old Testament. Okay. And, uh, and I think we see parts of Jesus or we hear about parts of Jesus in the New Testament, but that's not all of the parts of Jesus in the New Testament. So sometimes it's just we need to sit down and actually read the full story is all I'm getting to. Okay. Um, but back to your question of why do people think that Jesus is just this free love LSD hippie guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're equating God with Jesus, right? So they're saying right. this is God and he's Jesus. And he seems like a really nice guy. I mean, he's eating with quote-unquote sinners, and he's eating with prostitutes, and he's drinking wine. I mean, he's even turning water into wine, Mm. okay? Um, And other stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, he's multiplying food and bread and fish and everything else. Um, And he's always compassionate, it seems. It seems that he's always doing good to others. He's healing them. He's doing miracles. He's feeding them. And then there's this aspect of Jesus where he's, you see him constantly defending and even advocating for the least of these. Mm. And and then then I think one part that kind of relates to that hippie notion is Jesus seems to be bucking religious authority at every turn. Okay. Uh, He's like somehow like he's anti-establishment, right? He's anti-authority. Like, screw you, dad. Kind of thing. <laughs> well, or at least, you know, like I think in the hippie equation, it would be like, your know, equivalent would be like, screw you government, mm-hmm. right? And, okay. um, and so I think when Jesus, the way that they think about Jesus, or you could possibly read Jesus, is he's saying kind of screw you to the religious authorities. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he's not just bucking their authority. What he's really doing is he's just coming against the hypocrisy of the religious authorities. Okay. That's his issue with them, is the hypocrisy that they have. And so those are the things that I think people read about Jesus or think about Jesus or, hey, you know, the pictures of like all these kids coming to Jesus and he's just hanging out with them. And this makes them think of Jesus as just really, you know, loving, gentle, nice guy. And he is a loving, gentle, nice guy, but he's more than that. As well, he's and, also really mean and murdery, like God in the Old Testament. <laughs> no, well, okay, this is like a whole new, whole other convoluted thing. But the idea of like he's God, right? Right, and so he came the first time to save humanity, but Jesus coming back to judge humanity. Okay, so he, Jesus hasn't been murdery yet. <laughs> Right. But he's gonna. But like, if you read the book of Revelation, right? Yes. Okay. Jesus coming back with a sword. It says. Okay. And he's slaying everybody. Apparently. Good old bait and switch. <laughs> Gets them every time. So it seems like in the Old Testament, God is like, "Hey, when I send my son Jesus, that's when I'll be nice." And then Jesus gets here and says, "Yeah, I'm nice now, but when I come back, like, you you guys are all going to hell." And so, like, at different points in time, he's acting different. Like, God is acting different since Jesus is God. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, all right. And this is the way that I guess I would look at it. Okay. Is that 
the, the idea of the Old Testament God and the idea of the New Testament God are actually not as far apart as you think it is. Okay. And again, this gets back to if I'm looking at just narrow pieces mm. of God in the Old Testament or narrow pieces of God in the New Testament, I can come to some conclusions that may not be fully accurate. Okay. Because I'm not seeing the whole picture. All right. So, for example, I look at the Bible and I see these two testaments and the God is interacting in these two testaments. And what I see is this movement from Genesis chapter one, which is the first book in the Bible, all the way to Revelation 22, which is the last book of the Bible. So Genesis being the first book of the Old Testament, Revelation being the last book of the New Testament. And to me, there's just this one moving narrative or story, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all moving. Genesis 1 is everything is moving toward Revelation 22. So it's just this one massive story that's moving forward, okay? And Revelation 22 is the future. Correct. Okay. That's yeah, I'm, yeah, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. So Revelation 22 is the idea of a new creation. Right. New heavens, new earth. Okay, and where everything is new, where there's no more sin, there's no more death, there's no more sickness, there's no excuse me, there's no more curse. That's new creation. So right now we're in the Bible. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one way you hear people talk about it is like we are still the New Testament church. Okay. Yeah, because the story of New Testament has not ended. Right. Yet, and so we know what's coming according to Revelation and according to interpretations of Scripture or passages of Scripture, excuse me, from Matthew and from Thessalonians, and even back in the Old Testament with Isaiah and with Daniel. So we can see that there is this new creation that's coming. But yeah, but right here and right now, we're we're we are not we are not at that point. Do you think a new creation will still have Bibles? Will we need them? I don't think we're going to need them. Okay. Yeah, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that we will actually see him face to face, him being Jesus, mm. and that we will know him even as we are known. And so what, Bi what the Bible is doing is revealing to us about who God is. Mm. And it's revealing to us about his workings within, you know, human history from the point of creation all the way to the new creation. Okay. And so once we are with him, we don't need a written Bible to tell us about him. We will be there, see him, and we will know him for who he is. And I think there'll be... And everything he's ever done? Yeah. Okay. I think there's a sense of like, we won't just know God and know who he is and know what he has done and that we will celebrate mm. and rejoice in those things. And so I think that there's even aspects of God that are not even revealed in the New Testament or the Old Testament that we can't even imagine that we will discover. Okay. Because he's an infinite being, right? If mm. that's if, if we're talking about the way we see God as an infinite being, then there's it's limitless in a lot of ways of what his nature is like. And there's no way all of that could be conveyed just in a book. Okay. Yeah. So I think one of the things that people miss in the Old Testament is God's love and his care for his people. Okay. That, that gets, somehow gets overlooked. Mm. Um, because, again, we think of him as the God who's like, you know, destroying the earth with a flood or you know, wiping out people, but we forget that he actually has this compassion and this care, this love for his people. So and he, not he just murdered a lot of people because he loves other people. Okay. Yeah, this is okay, so I'm gonna give a teaser. Can I give a teaser? Yeah. So we're gonna do another episode where we talk about just this aspect of dealing with the, for example, wiping out all the Amalekites. Mm. Why would God do that? The ethics behind that. And so we're going to do that in our episode. But I will say this, that everything he's done is loving. That's the teaser. And so we're going to... It wasn't just like a massive flex. <laughs> no, not a massive... Like, like, what up? 
<laughs> no, not just a massive flex. That what he's doing is loving and is just. And that means that it is right and and that it is that he deems it to be necessary. Okay. All right. And so we'll get into that All right. on more specifics. Um, but I do think we have to see the God who is acting in love and care of the Old Testament. It's the same God that's doing all these other things that are ascribed to him in the Old Testament that we don't maybe like or feel comfortable with. But then there's things in the New Testament that God is doing that we may not be overly comfortable with either. So, for example, Jesus says... Like impregnating a woman without her consent. I mean, he told her it was about to happen. Oh, Lord, we can get that whole story of Mary, too. And so that'll be another episode. But I think that the point being that, you know, you see God in the New Testament and he says, you know, I have not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword that I will divide households. I'll divide, you know, there'll be um, spouses will be against each other. Parents will be against their children and children against their parents. Like. There's this division that's actually caused by the gospel. I think that's one of the aspects we miss, that when the gospel comes, division also can occur. So even though there's peace in the kingdom, there's joy in the kingdom, when the gospel comes, there's there also can be division between people because mm. of their perspectives and the way they think and see things. And then you see the New Testament, or at the end of the New Testament, in Revelation, and there's a lot of destruction, and there's plagues, and there's everything else that are happening on the earth. And so that's happening as well. So the th- same things that we look at in the Old Testament, we're like, I don't know about that God. Well, he's doing them again. Okay. And so um, I just think that we have to see that this is a very unique time we live in. And what I mean by that is the New Testament time mm-hmm. is a very unique time in which we live. So what I've heard from Jews, the Jewish people, okay. and Jews that I've listened to, okay. is that they have what they feel like is more of a pain and suffering and and strict view of God, okay. which kind of goes with Old Testament God, okay. which is what they believe, and that they view Christians as like free love, love whoever, love everyone all that stuff, which kind of goes with New Testament thinking. Right. So, like, the views of those two religions are very in line with the conventional thinking of the Testaments. Okay. In my mind. Okay. I could be wrong and racist and all the other stuff. <laughs> right. But I'm pretty sure that's what I've heard. Okay. So, the fact that those two religions exist and feel those ways, mm-hmm. does that not prove that God could be a different God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, I see what you're saying. Since those religions have made it all the way to this point still, Mm -hmm. and neither one have gone away. Right. So, two different gods? Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so I understand where individuals from Judaism would say that the Old Testament is about pain and suffering. Because you see a lot of that hmm. within the Jewish people. Um, they are constantly assailed and attacked. I mean, my goodness, they're put into slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. And so you see a lot of that. Hmm. I get, I understand that. Even go back to the story of Job earlier, right? Hmm. It was written to help Jews understand how to process suffering and grief and loss. And so I understand that perspective, but I also see the Old Testament when I read it, I don't simply see it as suffering and pain. I also see redemption all throughout it. I see a story of God redeeming his people, God creating his people, mm-hmm. and that there is this incredible sense that God is leading his people out of, for example, out of Egypt, right? Okay. Through the Exodus. You know, we see God leading his people out of exile and back to Jerusalem and a promise of a new creation and a promise of a Messiah that's going to come and change everything. Okay. And so I don't think there's 
And so I understand there's a can be a thought process of pain and suffering, but I don't think that's all of the story. Again, I think a large part of the story is even through pain and suffering, there is also redemption. Uh, for example, the story of Job. And again, it's just a story that's trying to point to some principles and some ideas of who God is and how he works with his people, how he's with his people. But the story of Job ends with Job having you know, more kids than he originally had, more property than he originally had. And again, the story of that is there's a redemption, that the end can be better mm. than the suffering and the hardship right now. I think that's there's always this part of redemption that you see in the Old Testament, and not just all of that, but also the fact that God promises to be with his people. And all throughout the Old Testament, God is with his people. He's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He is walking with the patriarchs. It says that God is with them, and there's a sense of God's presence, being very close to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph in the times of Moses and in the times of the people living in Canaan, God's presence is tangibly there among them, dwelling in the tabernacle or leading them as a fire by night or a cloud by day. And so, but God's covenant promises continually through there is that you're my people, I'm your God, I'm going to be with you. And so there's an idea of, I will be with you. So I don't see it as um, just pain and suffering, I guess. That's what I'm getting to. It's something much larger than that. Um, and to view it just as pain and suffering would be a, um, man, that would, that breaks my heart that they would see it just as, just as that. And there's so much more embedded in the New Testament and, or in the Old Testament, excuse me. And then getting all to like the rules and those kind of things. I get it. There are, there are all the rules and the laws and the ceremonies and everything else. Um, you know, through Leviticus, uh, we see all of these, hey, here's, here's what you got to do to make sure you're right with God. Here's all the sacrifices you've got to make, yada, yada. And then, you know, from really from the book of Exodus through Deuteronomy, you see all of these, you know, provisions. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you'll be cursed. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you don't need to do. And you see these moral restrictions or rules. You see these civil rules. You see these ceremonial rules and laws. And so all of that's there. And I get that I can feel very restrictive. But the New Testament doesn't abandon those principles. The New Testament says, if you love others, you will actually fulfill the law. Okay. So within the New Testament, they're not abandoning the morality that's embedded in the laws of Moses, but rather the New Testament says, if you if you just love people in the way that we are commanded to love, you will fulfill the law. And so in other words, but we have to learn, well, how do I love people? Well, I learn what love is by understanding what did God say in the Old Testament was okay and not okay on a moral basis, mm -hmm. right? God says, don't kill. Okay, so I'm going to love my neighbor by not killing them. God says, don't covet. So I'm going to love my neighbor by not coveting them. And so there's this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the New Testament's not just this, hey, go do whatever you want, <laughs> love everybody, you know? It's not just that. It's, yes, love, but love has, love is... Um, given parameters of what it looks like to love somebody. Mm. Love is not just an acceptance. Because I think in today's society, we think of love as just like, we just going to accept what everybody thinks and believes, and it's all okay, and we're going to be tolerant of everybody. And But that's not love as defined in Scripture. Um, even the New Testament writers say... You know, you cannot go do these things the way you used to before you knew Christ. Now that you know Christ, we are we are expecting there to be a transformation within you from the inside out that causes you to behave differently. Mm. And so, um, so I I think that both the old and the new are so connected and so shared in the way that they understand love and morality. And therefore, the way they understand God. And so as you really get into the Old and New Testaments more, you see less and less, I think, of a differing God. 
and you say, no, I've got to understand the New Testament principle of love by understanding the morals found in the Old Testament that are a reflection of the nature of God. And so the very nature of God we talk about the new is actually a reflection that we gain from the nature of God in the old. So we've talked before about how, like, if you're not worshiping God, it's some other spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Like evil spirit. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> are the Jews not worshiping our God anymore? Okay. Or are they worshiping our God? So, yeah, Jews are worshiping God, Yahweh. Okay. okay. In the same way that we say we worship Yahweh. Okay. The problem is they, in re- so in rejecting the Messiah. Yes. In rejecting Jesus, they are in turn rejecting the God that they say they worship. So they're... So what I'm saying is they so their worship is directed toward the same God. Okay. What they don't see is that by rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, they have in turn rejected God, the very God they say they worship. Okay. Jesus says, if you reject me, you've rejected the one who has sent me. Okay. If you deny me, you deny the one who has sent me. And when he, the one who has sent him is the one that we would understand as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, Jesus refers to him as his father. Okay. Okay. And so, but to reject the so that's what I'm saying. So as Jews reject Jesus, they're rejecting the one who sent him. Okay. As they deny Jesus, they're denying the one who sent him. How can they worship something that they're rejecting at the yeah, same time? What I'm saying is they don't know they have. So there's not a conscious acknowledgement of they've, of they've rejected him. And I feel like if you said that to them, they would tell you that you're wrong. Sure they would. Everything I just said, they would believe I was completely 100% wrong. And in fact, they would tell me the opposite. They would say that because... Because I you believe, believe in, in Jesus, Jesus that you're rejecting God. Correct. Okay. So we're both making exclusive truth claims. Right. So okay. I don't want it to sound like one side is worse than the other. It's not. We're both making exclusive truth claims. They would think that as a Christian, I'm blasphemous because I have equated Jesus with being Yahweh. Oh, okay. So there would be a lot less confusion if... It was just one book and not two testaments. Okay. So why? <laughs> All right. So, okay. So there wouldn't be Jews. There wouldn't be Christians. You'd have to be one of the things, and then God could have kept more of his people together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. That's what you're saying. All right. But remember, scriptures are just being written over time. Okay. It wasn't like that. They, like, someone sat down at one point in time and wrote all 66 books that were in that we find in the Bible and therefore it's all just there. Right. So all of these, you know, from again from Genesis to Revelation, they're all written over a period of time and collected. And eventually you have an Old Testament canon or Old Testament standard um, or old, you know, an Old Testament um, that is testifying of what God did among the Jewish people. Okay, mm-hmm. so that we refer to this as, like, as the Jewish scriptures. Now we refer to it as Christians. We refer to it as the Old Testament, right? For the Jews, this is just their scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so, and even in the New Testament, when they speak about scriptures, they're referring to the Jewish scriptures. They're referring to Old Testament. Okay. Okay. And so. You know, when Paul is telling Timothy that all Scripture is inspired, he is specifically referring to Old Testament. He's referring to Jewish Scriptures, that Mm -hmm. they are inspired. And so the Jewish Scriptures are canonized prior to the New Testament Scriptures being written. Oh, okay, I got you. So they're all collected together, and it's like, all right, these are our Scriptures, for the Jews, right? right? These are our scriptures. So the last scripture that they have 
is that was written is the book of Malachi, which was written, you know, somewhere around 400 mm-hmm. BC. And so there's a massive gap between Malachi being written and then the earliest New Testament letter being written. Okay. And and so which you know puts us into the first century, you know, AD. When we're looking at the Testaments, you're like, well, can it just be one book? This is, I guess, what I would say it is. And I think sometimes in labeling it Old Testament and New Testament, we actually create a disconnect of what one was saying versus the other. Okay. Okay. In other words, if we look at them as covenants and we're talking about, okay, were the old covenants or in the Old Testament, the New Covenants, the New Testament. Okay, we can label it that way, but we have to see that they're all it's all moving together, right? Like that what happened in the Old Testament is actually leading us to the events of the New Testament. Okay. And not only leading us there through the historical movements, but also all the prophecies that are speaking about the coming Messiah, all the prophecies that are speaking about the coming Holy Spirit, all the prophecies that are speaking about the new creation and new heavens and new earth. So everything that we start seeing in the New Testament unfolding is really just the fulfillment of the things prophesied and the things promised in the Old Testament. What is the Jewish rebuttal to all of the prophesying about Jesus? That no, well, say so they would say yes, the prophecies are there, but you've missed the mark on who it, on who the Messiah is. Okay. Yeah, so they would say, you're right, these prophecies are there, but Jesus is not that Messiah. Okay. And really, one of the things that makes it difficult is because what we see in Jesus, that he is the Messiah who's coming, he came once in the form of humanity, and as the Savior of the world to die on the cross and to Mm. rise from the grave— and then he ascends back up to the Father, but then he's coming again in the as a as a judge. All right. In the in the Jewish understanding, their Messiah is coming. And when the Messiah comes, the old age ends. So Messiah comes, Holy Spirit is poured out, sin, death, sickness, curse, end. New creation. New creation. In the New Testament point of view, perspective, or a Christian perspective, Jesus came. That's and, when he comes back. And he died, right. And he and 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 from the point of the cross and the resurrection and his coming, so in the life of Jesus and his coming and in his death and his resurrection, from, from that point, now the kingdom of God has started to invade earth, if you want to put it that way. In other words, we now we see healings, the way Jesus did healings. We see healings happening mm. of people who are sick. Instead of curse, we start seeing blessing happening as well. And so, in other words, now we live in this kind of, it's referred to as the, the now and the not yet, or the time in between the times. Okay. Where we are in between that, where there was sin, death, sickness, curse, and then the, the new creation time of no sin, no death, no sickness, no curse. We're living in that in-between space okay. where, we, where we can be forgiven of sin, but also have the power to not have to continue to sin. Where we are have fallen bodies that become sick, but sometimes God's power can heal us. Okay. And so you, you begin seeing this almost, I don't want to say a mixture, but it's really the kingdom of God coming and by kingdom of God, I just mean that God is exerting his rulership in a space or an area. Um, so he's exerting his rulership over an individual who was sick, but now they're healed, mm. who were demonized, but now they're made well, right? And so that's what I mean by the kingdom of God coming in and quote unquote invading earth. I know invading probably seems like a really crazy word, but coming to earth would probably be a better way to phrase that, the kingdom of God coming to earth. Well, I don't think if anybody came up to me and said, hey, I'm the Messiah, I would believe them no matter what I believe. Yeah. At this point in time. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big jump, right? I mean, and, and, I mean, I don't know how they did back then, but... Yeah. But I, mean, I wouldn't be a believer. 
<laughs> I wouldn't be a believer if some guy came up to me after this and was like, hey, I'm the Messiah. The Jews were right. Like, oh, I gotcha. No. No, you're... <laughs> no. I'm going to go to work now. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye, sir. <laughs> get yourself a therapist. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I get that. And I think that... For the, so you, if you put your if you put yourself in the Jews' perspective, right? Mm. Here's this carpenter from Nazareth that's all of a sudden claiming to be the Messiah. That's a jump, right? That's a leap, right? Like if you know the the guy you've known your whole life, you know Bob the mechanic, all of a sudden it was like I'm the Messiah. No, you're not. I mean, that's going to be highly doubtful. We're going to believe him, right? <laughs> Did you drink some gas? <laughs> and so so you do have to understand how difficult it was for them to receive this. So that's when it broke off. Broke off being... It broke off while he was alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it began to be distinguished between okay. those that were believing and following him and trusting him. But, I mean, again, to the, to the Jews... And remember, when we say the Jews, we act like... There was the Jews, and then all the people that were following Jews were non-Jews. Remember, they were all Jews. Right. Right? So Jesus was Jew. And Jesus was a Jew. Right. And so, but all the disciples who are Jewish are with Jesus, and they're still having a hard time wrapping their head around it. Mm-hmm. Right? They're with him all the time. And what we see through the Gospels is they're having a hard time getting their head around the fact that he is the Messiah. And then when he finally... S- I know all of it. Sometimes I have a hard time. Right. And then... Like every time I do this podcast. <laughs> Sorry to bring that out of you. And so, but, you know, if like, so the disciples, like they are having a hard time accepting his... Finally get to the point where they're like, oh, no, you're the, you're the Messiah, mm-hmm. the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Okay, this is you. This was revealed to you by my Father who's in heaven. So, in other words, they have a they had a heavenly revelation of who Jesus was, and immediately he says, "But I've got to die." Right. And immediately Peter, who was the one who was like, "No, you're the Son of God," is now rebuking Jesus and right. saying, "But no, you can't go die. You're the Messiah. Messiahs don't die." Right. And Jesus is like, "No, but I'm going to have to go die." And so, even once the disciples. We're like, okay, you're the Messiah. So it's like everything Jesus said was just cutting against what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be like, like the whole time. Exactly. And they were just like, yeah, that would have been weird. Yeah, and and so the resurrection is really the is really the deal breaker, right? If resurrection doesn't happen, right, then. Well, one, he really wasn't the Messiah, but then, but resurrection is the is the hinge point on everything. You know, Paul says if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, like Christians above all men are to be pitied. What if he did all that and said all that and confused the hell out of everybody and then didn't come back? Yeah, I mean, it would've been the greatest, right? Greatest prank, prank ever. ever, and and so just yeah, he just carried out a lie, yeah, right, and the resurrection. In the resurrection is where the disciples become convinced. Oh, okay. Yeah, he is the Messiah. So it took them three years? That's how long they hung out? Yeah, three to three and a half years. Okay. Yeah, and and so they have this revelation. And so like you understand why people have a difficult time during that time period grabbing hold of who Jesus is. Most people ended up saying, No, nah, he ain't the Messiah. Yeah. Because they had an expectation of what the Messiah was going to be like and was going to do and what was going to change because of him being there. And so now there's a whole different functionality of this Messiah. He dies. He rises from the grave. And now we're left in this, what I call earlier, the time between the times. Mm-hmm. This now and this not yet. Like Right now, we see evidence of the kingdom of God coming. Mm. And what we really mean by the now and the not yet it's just that right now the kingdom of God is coming. The new creation has already started to unfold, but we're not at the fullness of that yet. Okay. And so what we see in the Old Testament is this, again, this set of promises and prophecies about that which is to come, and the New Testament fulfills that. And so I do understand what is difficult 
for the Jews to understand and grasp because they were grasping and trying to understand it while Jesus was alive. And I really believe that's why Paul actually goes away for a while. Like he he comes, so Paul, who had been, a, you know, he was a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He comes to know Jesus as the Messiah. And then Paul, this gigantic of an intellect, goes, and I believe he is studying while he's going off for a while. And I think he's studying and trying to understand the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, in light of the fact that the Messiah has come. Mm. Because, again, it came so differently than what was expected. And so now, throughout Paul's letters, you see him interpreting the Jewish scriptures in light of Jesus as the Messiah. Okay. To try to make to make to help make sense of it for other Jews of what this means for them now that the Messiah indeed has come, but unlike what we first thought, and he's going to be coming again. So God didn't change at all in between the testaments. Correct. Like there was a bunch of time, and he didn't like he didn't change anything. He he like he changed the religion, but if he changes the Religion doesn't doesn't that kind of make you think that he made a change himself? Okay. Like you don't you you don't go a new direction in the company without you having a change of mind or something. So God has always been relating with His people in such a manner that was leading toward a new creation. Okay, okay. So everything there's not like a change in His mind. Everything's been moving toward it. What I would say is that God, there's no change in God's nature. So God, in who God is, has not changed. Okay. And it wasn't like that the fall happened and he was like, daggum, going to have to figure something else out. That's not the way it happened at all. Um, Jesus is actually referred to as the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. And so, in other words, that there was already a knowledge that Jesus was going to have to come as a sacrifice. Okay. And so before the, like, before the world was even formed and created, okay? Mm-hmm. And so God didn't change in who he is. Now, there is a change in the way that we interact with God. Okay. Because before, the interaction was always through sacrifices and through priests. Right. And so if you have these sacrifices that are needed for forgiveness of sins, and it's only the priest who can make these sacrifices. And in fact, only the high priest could come and go before the Ark of the Covenant or the Shekinah glory of God, The, in other words, the presence of God. Only the high priest could go before God in the Ark or on the Ark one time a year. And so that has radically changed at this point. And so, and it's all because of Jesus' sacrifice. So Hebrews 10, 10 refers to Jesus as the sacrifice that came, and he was the one sacrifice for all times for all people. Mm-hmm. In other words, his sacrifice does away with the need of any other sacrifice. And so now what's happened is that Hebrews speaks about there being a new and living way to approach God. And it's through the blood, through the sacrifice of Jesus. So now where beforehand it was reserved for only the priest to come before God one time a year, now as believers, any believer, it says, can come boldly before the throne of grace. Mm-hmm that we might receive mercy and grace in our time of need. In other words, there is this boldness that we can come before God's presence by the blood of the Son, and we don't need to have sacrifices any longer. So the way that we're interacting with with God is different. But he's not different. But he is not different. Okay. So people can read the Bible and view God and his actions in different ways based on like the culture that they live in. Mm-hmm. Like I assume someone in the middle ages would feel differently about God killing people than we do. Sure. Because we don't like to kill people in our, <laughs> in our society. <laughs> so, right. so, and then, you know, like in our society, there's stuff in the Bible where we can see 
Jesus being misogynistic or God being like racist by killing entire people groups mm-hmm. versus, versus not other people groups mm-hmm. and being okay with people having slaves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So how do I view the God in like, cause this kind of can color my view of him in the testaments. If I see him being more racist in the old Testament versus the new Testament and thinking that God is not racist in the New Testament, maybe. And so this can, can like, make me think even more that these two gods that are portrayed are different. Mm-hmm. And so how do I, I guess, read the Bible and who God is without culture influencing the way I think about it? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that every single one of us are carrying some part of our culture into our reading of mm. scripture, right? Or or even our life experiences into reading scripture. I think it I think our culture, our life experiences colors the way we see the world mm. and it colors the way we read scripture. The only way that I know that we can begin to correct that to some degree is when we approach scripture I think we have to try to do the best that we can to place the scripture in the context of the time it was written in and not our own. Okay. And so and in so doing, we're trying to understand, okay, if I'm an individual alive during this time, what would I have understood the scriptures to mean when I'm reading this? What is okay. being conveyed as if I'm an original hearer? What is being conveyed and what is the context in which it was written? Or I say written. I mean, these things were written down, but they were mostly passed passed through orally, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're they're telling it's the telling of these stories, it's the telling of these gospels and letters. And so when you're hearing it, what what would you have heard it like what would you have heard it to mean? Right. And so I think just by you know asking those simple questions of all right. What was the context? What were the original hearers have understood it to mean? Can go so so far in understanding what's going on in that scriptural passage, mm-hmm. and that's why you know we're very thankful to have a lot of commentaries and things like that, background commentaries to help us understand the background nature of what's happening as we're reading scripture, because it is hard. You know, I mean, even to get into the head of someone that was living in first century A.D. Mm-hmm. much less putting us all the way back into the times of Moses or Abraham, right? All of those things, I think, are we have to be careful not to go, well, this is this is the way our society views certain things. Therefore, that's the way they would have heard it when they would have read this or, or excuse me, heard it out, you know, heard someone read it to them. And so I think that we have to be just be mindful of that and you know there's obvious there's obviously like you could dive into things like all right i need to make sure i have hermeneutics that are consistent and all right and you're shaking your head like what what in the world is hermeneutics and so hermeneutics are just the tools to interpret and i'm not saying everyone has to have hermen like know all about hermeneutics right or know all about exegesis which is like the art of interpretation okay i'm not saying that we have to all be familiar with those things, but there are resources for people who do dive into hermeneutics and ex- do really good exegesis work where we can, or interpretive work, where we can read their writings and help us understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is I think the, the more information we can have on the times helps us. Also, again, holding a consistency, right? So for example, God wiped out a whole people group. He must have been racist. Well, no, race had nothing to do with it. Okay. okay. And so we'll, when we discuss God's dealing with the Amalekites, for example, we'll see that race had nothing to do, to do with it at all. Or, man, God's really, you know, um, a chauvinist or whatever, right? And we can go, well, actually, throughout Scripture, that's not the case at all. That, you know, that women are valued incredibly high. In, in God's in, in God's lens and so um, or in God's perspective and so I think those are the things 
that again can just be when we do a quick reading of something, we just miss actually what's there. Yeah. Or I don't think miss was that we misinterpret. We put it that way. We can misinterpret or misread or misunderstand what's there. And then I also think it's okay to wrestle with some things and not have all the answers to. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right. So obviously, I'm taking the standpoint of that God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's the same in the Old and New Testaments. But what's your actual view of God? So like when you look at the Old Testaments and you're looking at the New Testaments, do you, do you see two different gods there? I don't know what the answer is without one of them telling me, yes, that it is the same God. It feels like when someone comes and tells you something that's not believable and then they go, I swear I'm telling the truth. <laughs> like, I've got the thing that I'm supposed to believe telling me that it's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only part. That's why I asked you, like... Is there any way other than reading the Bible to know that this is the same God? Hmm. Like, because there's stuff in the Bible that you can point to real life and go, see, that seems true, correct? Mm-hmm. And if you point to enough of those, then then that's, I mean, it proves your point better. Right. But I guess that would have to prove, like, if you did that enough times <laughs> and all of that is true, then I must think that the same God wrote both parts of it. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the answer I was looking for, and I just talked myself to it. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) That's how I'm going to think about it, I guess. I love it. Sounds good. Because that's the, yeah, that's the only part that's, I guess if I can see enough things in the Bible that make me think all of it's true, then it's got to be the same God that wrote both parts. Right? Does that yep. logic make sense? That logic makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, that's got to make sense. Because there can't be two... There couldn't be two gods speaking truth. Because there's only one god. Right. Right. Yeah, right. I, think you're, I think you're onto something here. And if there was a false... If one of them was a false god, then what I would discover about that testament in the Bible would not be true. Correct. Okay. That logic makes sense. I love it. Okay. Well, this has been the winner of this podcast. You can find the podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Rumble. You can follow updates on the podcast at Facebook and Instagram at When I Heard This Podcast. Go to Patreon, $5, like all the things, up buttons and notification bells and follows, and do all that. It helps muchly goodly. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Nate Robinsoff, and you can follow Joseph on Instagram at RevJoT. This has been the one I heard this podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.